0: If you have your bulletins, I would encourage you to turn to page six. Because actually, I just turned to turn to page seven. Because page seven has a place to take notes. There's a big list of scriptures on page six. I don't think I'm going to look at very many of them. This is one of those weeks where when the bulletin was due, um, God took me a little bit of a different direction after the bulletin was due. So we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses. Um, this is more of a topical sermon. Um, because what we're trying to do this week, this month, is we're trying to understand God's blessings. We're trying to understand specifically justification. Okay? And there's something particular. There's a question that I want to ask and answer. Okay, that I want to ask and answer. And it's going to cause us to need to look at several different verses uh, throughout the Bible in order to do that. Okay? So that's a little bit about where we're going. Um, we're in a series called The God Who Sees. Okay, and from Remember Hagar. Remember Hagar, alone, alone and and lost and without hope. And yet God saw her. Right? And we learn that God sees us right where we are, just as we are, and he comes near to us with love and grace. And this is the God who sees. And, And God's love is clearly seen when he speaks to us. Okay, because God doesn't just see. He doesn't just see us from from up above, but he speaks to us. And God's first word to us, when he speaks, is justification. It's justification. It's a theological term. But this is an act of God's free grace where he forgives us and accepts us and treats us as though we are as perfect as Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. This is what God does for us first. When we believe in Him. When He justifies us, He says that He is satisfied. He is pleased with us. And our relationship with Him is secure. That's what justification is. And and God justifies us. We saw this last week. God justifies us apart from our obedience. Right? He doesn't justify us because we're good people. He doesn't justify us because we did something good. God justifies us. What we saw last week, remember? The Exodus came... Before the Ten Commandments. Remember that? Remember chapter 12 comes before chapter 20? Uh, The Exodus comes before uh, the Ten Commandments. And so, in the same way for us, salvation comes before our obedience. God saves us before we obey. This is good news. This is really good news. Because what this means is that God saves us because of Jesus' perfect obedience. It's not that we obey, but that he obeyed perfectly for us. And because of that, God accepts us, forgives us. And this is how our salvation begins. Right? It begins with justification. But but so many of us have a problem. Okay? We have a problem. Okay. Well, here's our problem. God says he is our savior. But we still think of him as our judge. Okay? This is a problem that we struggle with. God says that he's our Savior, but we still think of him as our judge. it connect with you at all yet? Let me tell you why we struggle with this. Okay, why do we struggle with this? Well, first, because we sin, we still sin and we feel guilty. We feel guilty, so we think God's judge. Second, we forget that a Savior handles guilt differently than a judge. Okay, a Savior handles guilt differently than a judge. Third, we have other authorities in our lives. Okay, other authorities that make us obey before they approve us. Right? Bosses, bad parents, um, some friends, they make us obey before they approve us. And we experience that, and we just project that on God, and assume that God is just like them. This is why we struggle to believe that God is our Savior and our Judge. And then fourth, reality is our obedience isn't perfect, and we can't believe that a perfect God would be pleased with imperfect obedience. Okay? This is why we struggle. This is why we have a hard time. We know in our heads, to you have been at our church, for any length of time, you know that God is a Savior, although we well, still think of him as though he's our judge. And so, so we need, to, we need to see from the Bible how does God feel about our obedience? Okay, once we've been justified, how does God think about our obedience? Right, what does God think? What does God feel? And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to answer the question: what does God think about your obedience? And that's what we're going to look at today. And so, the concept of obedience, obedience and sin, right? Those are, you either obey or you're sin, you obey or sin, right? And so obedience and sin in the Bible, there's two aspects to it. There's the what you do, you know, in terms of following Jesus' way of life, and then there's the why you do it, right? And from the biblical perspective, Jesus' way of life is that you can do things because you love God and you love others. Now that's the proper motive. It's the proper why behind the what. And so these are the two pieces that make up obedience. Okay? So, when the what equals the why, you have obedience. When the what doesn't equal the why, there you have sin. Okay, are you tracking? I know some folks didn't like the math equations last week. They're coming back to them this week. Yeah. So I know this is math, but this is not... But you get it, right? If your what and your why follow Jesus' path of life, that is obedience. But if your what and your why are not equal, that's sin. So let me give you some examples where the what and the why are different. Okay, these are biblical examples. We have the lips versus the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right, you can connect to this, right? you ever said something to someone that you really didn't mean, trying to manipulate them, you want to flatter them, you want to get out of a situation, right? Well, Jesus said the same thing. These folks honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we got a lips versus heart dichotomy. And when that happens, that's sin. It's not a Just because you said the right thing, it doesn't match what's in your heart. It's sin. Okay, then we have the dichotomy between the outside versus the inside. In Matthew 23, verse 3, it's talking about the religious leaders. Jesus just says, they preach, but they do not practice. So they'll tell you what to do. They'll make it really clear this is what God wants, but they don't do it themselves. So again, the inside and the outside need to come together. or public versus private. Matthew 23, verse 5. Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Okay, so their motivation is not love for God. It's not love for others. It's love for themselves. Uh, this is what Jesus is saying, and so in all of these ways, where the what and the why are not the same, it's sin. It's sin. It's not obedience at all. So, what? Why? so this is this we This us sin. What's amazing though is that our obedience does please Him. Okay, because when we follow the what, Jesus' way of life, and we do it because we love God and love others, God is pleased. Okay, so let's look at some examples of this. Remember what the wire is saying. Okay? So Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Okay? Good to know. Let's read the one. Philippians 4 18. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, so I just want you to see these two. Um, if you do good, if you share what you have, right, which is exactly what the Philippians were doing, they sent this gift to Paul to take care of his needs, and meet his needs. When you do this, your sacrifices are acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, so this is how God feels about your obedience. When you sacrifice because you love someone, when you sacrifice because you love God. God is pleased that he accepts these sacrifices. He accepts our obedience and is pleased by him. Is that you. that with me? So God is pleased. And then it goes even farther. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he is in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Because if you give that way, the what, and the why aren't the same. Right? But if you give as you decide in your heart, not reluctant or under compulsion, well, that's how you give, because God loves a cheerful woman. And I just I want you to, to, to see what this verse says. It's not just that your obedience is pleasing to him, it's not just that God accepts it that God loves you when you do it. That God loves a cheerful giver. Man, when the what and the why line up, when you do what God wants because you love him and you love others, God is thrilled. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people who do the things he calls them to do because they love Him and love others. Right? When the what and why come together, God loves it. He's excited about it. So, so we got the what and why are different, or the what and why are the same. But I think, especially um, after last week, a lot of questions that came out. Um, I think the most important question for a lot of us might be: What do you do when the why is mixed? Okay. What do you do if you do the right thing? So the what is good, but the why is Good and eh, not so good. Uh, what do you do when you have mixed motivations? When the why behind it isn't so pure? Okay, let, me, let's, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say um, <clears throat> someone in your life group calls. Calls you and says they need help. Uh, they need someone to talk with and pray with because there's a really challenging situation in their family. Okay, and So you go and you spend about an hour with them and you listen. You offer what advice and wisdom you have, and you pray for them, right? You pray for them, and you give them support, right? So you can picture that, right? Well, then, after you leave the situation, after you leave that situation, you realize that while you did something that was good, your motives weren't entirely pure, okay? I just graphically show this, right? This was your motivation, <laughs> Mostly, you were excited to go and serve your friend. Right? You did it out of love for them. Um, and then also, as you went, you were thinking, wow, God, Like I've got an opportunity. You've been so kind to me. You've cared for me through so many things. And so, Lord, I want to go do this because I love you for what you've done for me. So you bless me, I want to give blessing to others. And so, you also did it out of love for God. Right? So love for others, love for God. But, but, in your heart, you were also thinking, I, I want to go do this because my hope is that this person will be blessed by me, and then maybe they'll tell the rest of my life. And maybe this story will come up next time we get together, and people will see this good thing that I've done, and I'm kind of fired up about that. I, I want the credit. I want, you know, I just, I would love to have my life group, my small group, me, and Think about me like there's a missile. Right? And so part of you is motivated. You want to be seen, Okay? And then, you know, about 45 minutes into your meeting, you kind of got frustrated. And you're thinking, like, how long is this going to take? Like, can we just pray now? Do we have to talk about this some more? And you start to get kind of angry. Like, yeah, what's going on here? Why is this taking so long? And you begin to feel anger while you were there 45 minutes in. And so for the last 15 minutes, you kind of struggle to not get angry. So as you're leaving, right, as you're leaving, you're thinking over the motivations and you're realizing, you know what, there was both good and bad motivations in what I did. You with me? Make sense? This is for all of you, right? Because for most of you, like, it's all, it's like 99 on one, right? I just, okay. Well, actually, I think for a lot of us, sometimes, like, okay, I want to be seen as so, you know, right? <laughs> My anger is like, I don't want you. This is what no, God no. says. What's wrong with you? you know, that kind of thing, right? Sometimes the pie looks a lot different. Just being honest, right? This is the struggle. This is the struggle that we have. We have mixed motivations. And so, how does God feel about this? Okay? How does God feel about this? Like, what does God do with this? So, I didn't have the skill to create a slide that's as complicated as what I want to draw from you. So I thought, hey, I've got this big whiteboard upstairs, let me just bring it down. How does God feel about that, that? Okay, I want to draw from you two scenarios. Okay, there's two scenarios. Um, so, let's see here. So, here's the line. We'll call this perfection. That says perfection. Um, And then we'll say the line down here. This is sin. Okay. Alright, what do we got here? So I'm going to just, just for simplicity's sake, love for God, that's good. Love for others, that's good. So that's what about 60%? Then we got. Anger and want to be seen, that's sin. And so, I mean, there's times where what we do is just not good, right? And we might do a work and it's just sin. Okay? But with stuff like this, it feels like it's not perfection. Because our blood is more pure. We're just barely not sin. Sometimes we're kind of in the middle to a mixture of motives. You get the picture, right? I mean, we do these things. Um, and we're just, we're not perfect people, okay? We're not as bad as we could be. Like, there's good in us. There's good motivation. There's reasons we do follow God at times. But we're never perfect, right? It never feels like we're perfect. And so, I think this is just, this is the same thing, right? Just a different picture of the same kind of mix motivation. So look, if God is your judge, if God is your judge, then all of these actions, all of your mixed motivations, I think the Bible teaches us that God would say all of these things are not good Enough. Okay? If God is your judge, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of his perfect standard. Right? God's justice demands that every sin be punished. And so he's your judge. All of your best works are not good enough. Okay? But there's another scenario. There's another scenario. Because, see, what if God is your Savior? What if God's your Savior? Got the same line here. This is perfection. Same line down here. This is sin. And you got the same person. Doing works that aren't perfect. Some are better than others. Some are bad. Right? If God is your Savior, then the way that God feels about these things, God sees these things as obedience. God is your Savior and you've been justified, then God looks at all of these things in between and He calls that obedience. He calls these things sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to Him. This is the implication of what it means to be justified. He doesn't see this as obedience because it's good enough. He sees this as obedience because Jesus has already been perfect for you. And because of Jesus' work, God doesn't look at your obedience as a judge. He looks at your obedience as a savior. And as a savior, as a savior, this is acceptable. And pleasing to him. Let me dig into this a little bit more. Let's take this as one work here, okay? It's about two thirds up from I mean, between. So, look, there are really there's two gaps, right? Here's gap number one, and here's gap number two, okay? Gap number one is the difference between what you did and perfection. Okay? Gap number one is the reality that you wanted to be seen and you got angry while you were doing this good thing out of love for your neighbor or love for God. Okay? Gap number two is the difference between sin and what you did. Follow? Okay. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Most of us When we consider our imperfect obedience, most of us focus on doubt number one. Most of us focus on doubt number one. Most of us think to ourselves, okay, I did this thing, but... Like you drive away from the time with your friend, and you think, yeah, but my place sucked. Yeah, but I got angry. It's just how most of us are. Sometimes we've been taught to treat ourselves that way because of our parents, because of the environment we grew up in, because of the culture. And sometimes, and so we tend to look at gap number one. the friends, can I say this and have you believe it in your it? When God looks at this world, he sees the gap number two. When God looks at our works, he sees God's liberty. Because guess what? The cheerful giver might not be an imperfect giver, and yet God accepts that. Right? Doing good and sharing with others, from Hebrews 13, we're never perfect, and yet it's a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to God. So God is pleased with our imperfect obedience. All the time, if you do a word search on pleasing or pleased in the New Testament, you'll see these verses that talk about it. We just saw a few of them in Hebrews, right? In, in Philippians, right? God is pleased when we share. We're not perfect in our sharing. And yet God sees, He's pleased because He sees the, He sees the good in what we do. And He does that because He's our Savior and not our judge. Are you with me? Yeah. This is how God sees us. This is good news. This is incredibly good news. It's funny because this week, this week, I actually read through the whole New Testament. Okay? And I'm saying this not because I'm trying to brag. Not because, I got called on this actually. I was telling somebody this this week and they started making fun of me and they thought I was doing this because I wanted to be seen. <laughs> um, I promise I'm not. I didn't do it because I wanted to be seen. I did this because as your pastor, I wanted to clearly communicate to you how God feels about your imperfect obedience. And I want to be able to stand in front of you and say, I read the whole New Testament, and I pulled out about 30 different verses, right, that talk about the way that God is pleased with Christians' obedience, right? And it's really, really interesting because here's what I found. In the entire New Testament, I looked and tried to find what God says about our imperfect obedience, and I couldn't find any verses. You got it. You got it. No, you got it. That's right. I read the whole New Testament, and there are no verses where God talks about how He feels about our imperfect do you get it yet? I read the whole New Testament, and there is not one place where God looks at our good works and says, That's imperfect. When God sees the good works that you do, He looks at how far you've come. He looks at the difference between where you were before Jesus and where you are now. And God delights in that. God looks and sees the good stuff in you. And He's pleased and He accepts it. When we obey and when our motives are mixed, God is not our judge, God is our Savior who rejoices over the good works that we do. Now, does God see this gap? Of course He does. Does God know that our hearts are mixed? Of course He does. This is why He sent Jesus. Okay? Jesus fills that gap for us. Okay? And the reality here, though, is that God wants us to think about this gap. God wants us to think about our imperfections as opportunities for us to just love him even more. And that's how God wants us to see. God doesn't want us to, to God doesn't want us to look at the imperfections in our meetings and go, yeah, well, but God's disappointed. But that's not what it is. God does want us to grow. And he wants us to grow because we want to love him with more of our hearts. God just wants more of our hearts. He wants us to grow for us, for Him, not because He's disappointed. And so, if you have anybody in your life that, like no matter how good you have been, they can always find a fault, that is not God's disposition. It is not how God feels. So, let me give you just two examples that don't actually tell us about how God feels about imperfect obedience because God doesn't talk about that. God just receives it as obedience. Um, let me show you a couple things. Um, the first one is from John 21. If y'all are here a few months ago we preached on this. Remember when Peter failed Jesus? right? Jesus, I'll stand with you. I'll do it. I'll, I'll go to the cross. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me. And Jesus actually says, Simon, I'm going to pray for you. So you want know how God feels about your imperfect performance? Jesus says, look, I know what you're going to do, and I'm actually going to pray for you. So that when you are imperfect, you are not crushed by your imperfection. That's what he says. And after Peter denies Jesus three times, after Jesus dies for Peter's imperfection, dies for Peter's sin, Jesus then seeks him out after he rises from the dead. And he goes after him and he says, Simon, do you agape me more than me of And Do you love me with God-given supernatural love? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I like you a lot. I can't tell you that I love you with perfect love because you'll nail me to the wall because I denied you. And Jesus asks him again, Simon, do you agape me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Lord, I cannot tell you that I agape you because I don't measure up. I, Jesus, I see the gap. I see the gap. And so then the third time Jesus says, Simon, do you forget? Jesus is saying, Simon, that's all you can give. If this is all you can give, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's acceptable. It's pleasing to me. And Peter says, you know, Lord, you know everything. You can see in my heart. You know my mixed motives. And you know that in me, even as I was denying you that I loved you, and Jesus says, every time Jesus says, Feed my sheep. He says, Tend my lambs. He says, Be a leader of my people, because these are the kinds of leaders. You are the kind of leader that I need. I don't need perfect people. I don't want I don't have perfect people to choose from. What I need are honest people. People who are honest. Because in your imperfect life, I don't even see it that way. You I love you and I accept you as you are. And I delight in you. This is how God feels. This is what God does with our imperfections. He comes and He says, do you love me? I know you say, do you love me? Okay, let's do it. I, I died for you. Do you love me? Let me fill you with my love. And you will be. And that's why we grow up is because Jesus comes us with his love, not with his condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. So here's another verse. This one's long, but there's kind of a concept here that I want shouldn't do it. Um, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So stop. So Paul is saying, look, when you believe in Jesus, there's a foundation of laying in your life. Okay? You're trusting in Jesus, and you are part of God's family. is not your judge. He's not your Savior. He loves you. Okay? And so he loves you. So that's the foundation of your life. And he says, take care how you build. So take care with the rest of your life what you're building on this foundation. So he goes on, now, if anyone built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, because the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Okay, so let me stop here. So, what he's saying is, look, you can build with different kinds of materials, the house is your life. Okay? And if you build your house on the words of Jesus, with the what and the why of Jesus, then you are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Okay? Now, if you don't build your life on the words of Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't love his word, if the what and the why in your life are not matching up. Okay? So, it's kind of like if you're building up here, you know, or you're building down here. Right? This is what he's saying. Then you're building with wood and straw. And Paul has this sort of image of us at judgment day, standing in the refiner's fire. Okay, and so the foundation that we have and the house that we build will go into this picture of fire. It's not purgatory. It's not hell. It's a purifying fire for God's children. Okay, and so when the fire comes, it will the wood, hay, the stubble will will disappear and disintegrate. The gold, silver, precious stones will remain. Right? That's what he says next. He says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And then look what he says in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. And only as I think this is interesting because this is a picture of what God does with the sinful parts of what we do that when you stand before God on Judgment Day and you present your imperfect obedience, what will happen is God will burn up the, impures, the impure stuff. He'll burn up the disobedience and what is left over will be pure and refined, the best of who you are. And God will reward you for that. Make sense? There's another picture, the way that God can both uh Can accept us as we are, reward us for the good stuff that we do, and the bad stuff we burned away. And so this is the implications of justification. Right? This is how God feels about your obedience if you're a Christian. When you become a Christian, your relationship with God changes. He's not your judge, he's your savior, and he delights in you. He is pleased with your obedience. He sees this gap, not this week. Okay. so this is this is justification. Now, this is the third week of the month, and so this week in our life groups, we are going to be spending time discussing and trying to apply how does our Sunday worship affect our abilities to know God. Right? How does what we do on Sundays uh, contribute to our unblocked with God, contribute to the life that we live. And so I want to just walk through how justification and Sundays work together. Okay? And we'll end with this. So these are the five elements of our worship service. Right? God calls us to worship. God cleanses us from our sins. God invites us to consecrate ourselves. God communes with us at the table and he commissions us in the nature. Right? This is the fivefold structure of our worship service. And so, when you participate in these things every Sunday as we come, how does justification relate to this? We say it a different way. How can our Sunday service help you understand and live in the blessings of being justified? Okay? How can justification contribute to you? How can our Sunday services contribute to you focusing where God focuses and not where you focus? So let's walk through this one by one quickly. God calls us to worship. Um, You have to remember that when we do the call to worship, the God who's calling you is God the Savior, not God the Judge. Okay? His call to you is gracious. And so when God calls you, you need to realize that the God who's calling you is your Savior, not your Judge. Okay? Then God cleanses us from our sins. I think this is a huge place. My hope as your pastor is that every Sunday you will re-experience the blessings of justification. You'll be reminded that you are justified when we confess our sins and receive God's assurance. That's a time where we are rehearsing our redemption. I mean, this part of the service, every single week, is designed to remind you that if you trust in Jesus, you are justified. Okay? It's almost as though right after God calls us, He wants us to know that we're justified. Right? And so that time of confession is a time for you to remember that God has saved you already. That God already forgives you in Jesus. And we have both forgiveness and freedom. Okay? Then God invites us to consecrate ourselves in Him. This is God's work. Right, the Bible, the sermons that we preach, even the announcements and the community stuff that we're doing like, these—are all designed for us to know how to follow God's will. Right, to understand the what and the why in our lives. So we're being reminded of—we're being reminded of the what and the why, and week in and week out, we're also being reminded that Jesus is again our Savior. Right, so when we do fall short, we're not on this side we're on this side of the world Jesus is already to save us. Then we have communion. All right? Communion, this is our assurance. We observe the Lord's Supper and God is telling us that He accepts us. In the, in the Word, in the Bible, there are verses that say anybody who will and who wants to can come and receive forgiveness. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus is saying, you are forgiven not just true for people in general, it's true for people. Right? His blood washes us in our sins. His body gives us His righteousness. <clears throat> gives us the strength and the assurance that we need. And then God commissions us for our week. God sends us out on mission to love Him, to love others. Sundays are about experiencing this assurance, being reminded that this is our relationship with God. And then God says, okay, I want you to go live it out. I want you to go live it out and share it with others. If this is good news for you, make sure that people around you know that this is the God of hope. This is the God who justifies. And so this is our service. This is my hope. that, i always that you are getting this week in and week out. You're being reminded whether we're preaching our justification or not, is that you're receiving this assurance, that you're being reminded that this is your God. this is your God. This is what he sees. He's delighted in you. He's delighted in you. So let's go to him now. Let's ask him. Let's ask him to speak these words in our heart. And now look to me and receive God's benediction. <clears throat> God sees your good works. He sees what is good in you. He sees it. He affirms it. Receive his affirmation and go. Let his all-seeing eye grow your obedience. Let his delight in you cause you to want to delight him even more. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.